welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to Mark. We're going to keep reading from Mark chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 9 today. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. We're only going to get through a couple of verses, um, but uh, I feel like the Lord has a word uh, for us this morning from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says, And it came to pass in those days, I'm going to read it through once fast, and then I'll read it through again slowly. Uh, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah, Father, pray that you would open up your word to us. Thank you for the Gospels that have been passed down from generation to generation. We pray that you'd open it up to us today, that we would see Jesus, and that we would, our, our eyes, the eyes of our hearts would be opened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Those days are what was previously written about in Mark chapter 1, uh, 1 through 8. I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, And it's basically the days of John the Baptist. Remember, John was in the wilderness. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And he came preaching repentance of sins. And people would go out to him and confess their sins and be baptized. In fact, it says the entire region was going out to him. And so I preached about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was revival. There was, there was mass repentance happening. And then the author of Mark says, it was in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. It's in those days. It's always in the days, the days of repentance bring about the days of renewal. The days of repentance bring about the days. See, so John, John is calling people to repent of sin. And it's in those days that a guy named Jesus, does anyone know what the name Jesus means? Savior, that's one as close. Joseph. Chosen one? No, no, no. Uh, Jesus means Savior or the Lord saves specifically. It means that the Lord saves. And so I just find it interesting that it's it's in those days, in the days of repentance, that God sends about His Son who is a Savior or specifically something the Lord is going to do. It is, it is in the days of man's activity and, and coming toward God that God moves and comes toward man. And it's always, it's, it's that way here in Mark chapter 1, and it's that way in your life and in my life, that whenever, what does James say, draw near to God, and then he will draw near to you. There's another passage that says that it is godly sorrow that leads to repentance, or godly heaviness, or heaviness that comes from God will lead us to repentance. Repentance means to turn and to change your course. You're going one way and you go a different way. So by the way, God isn't against heaviness. He's not against sorrow. He's not a God who, who, in fact, he uses sorrow. Sorrow that comes from God makes you feel bad, but then it doesn't just make you feel bad. It causes you to change your life or to make new decisions, to make a shift. And it is godly sorrow or sorrow that comes from God that leads to repentance. And so this is how you know whether or not your sorrow is from God or not. What does it lead to? Does it lead to a change? God is not for sorrow that just stays in sorrow. God is not for grief that just stays in grief. God is not for you coming to church feeling bad, going home, coming back to church feeling bad, going home, coming back to church feeling bad, going home. God is not for constant repetitive sorrow. He is for sorrow or heaviness that brings about a result. And that result is repentance. But scripture says that that godly sorrow brings repentance, which then brings salvation. 
And so salvation is Jesus. God saves. So whenever you have a season, and, I, and I'm so encouraged when I see people who are in a season of repentance, because I know that on the heels of that season of repentance is going to be a season of renewal and restoration and revival. That it, when, when, when man, when you and I, when humans decide to change our lives and get closer to God, God immediately responds and gets closer to us. It was in the days of John the Baptist that, that Jesus appeared. So it's in the days of repentance, human repentance, that God then sends a deliverer. God sends a rescue. Because you and I can never fully change ourselves. So he never asks us to fully change ourselves. He never asks us to take the journey of a thousand miles. Rather, he asks us to take one step. And when we take one step toward him, he takes 999 steps toward us. Does that make sense? And so some of you, maybe you're not in that place. Maybe you're not in the place of repentance and you're, you're feel, feeling far from God. I would encourage you, take one step toward him and watch what he does. Take one step toward him and watch how quickly he moves toward you. No matter how far away you may feel, it is in those days. It's in the days uh, of, of John the Baptist. And it's so interesting too, just, just, just prophetically, the days of John the Baptist. Remember, John is coming from, from, from the wilderness, right? He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And it's in the days of the voice of one crying in the wilderness that Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So this is, this is significant because John was in the wilderness calling people out of the cities to come into the wilderness to repent of their sins. People were coming out of the cities, coming to John, who's in the wilderness. And some of you are looking like, okay, yeah, 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 I got it. But no, this is really important because, because sometime earlier in Scripture, there was a man from the wilderness. When he was 40 years old, he ran into the wilderness because he killed somebody. And then God called him in the wilderness to go back into the city to call people out of the city of Egypt into the wilderness. And Moses' message to Pharaoh was, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And so Moses was a deliverer of God's people because he got, him, got them out of bondage into a new covenant of God. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And so on the Mount Sinai, God delivers his law to Moses. And it's a law of repentance. Right? Uh, you, can, you can read the law, but it's basically a plan, a roadmap for how to live in fellowship with God. Right? I am the Lord your God. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? And so if you, you want, if you want God in your life, you have to get rid of all other deities and all other devotions and all other loyalties. Your primary loyalty must be to him and him alone. You'll have no other gods beside me, next to me. There'll be no equals to me. Right? He says, you shall not, uh, 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 lie or bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, you shall not covet what, what, what is your neighbor's. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not commit adultery. You shall honor your parents. Come on, somebody, uh, for, for, for if you do, your days will be long on the earth. He gives this full list of commands. I'm just kind of quoting some of the Ten Commandments, but there were several other commands. And all of these commands were commands of repentance. You've been walking this way, Israel. Turn and walk this way. Walk toward me. And the law of Moses was good for that. It was a good way to start repenting, to change your life. But the problem is people found out that they could start changing, but they couldn't stick with the change. And they got to the edge of the promises of God. They got to the edge of the promised land and Moses couldn't take him into the promised land because simply repentance never takes you into the promises of God. Deciding to make a change, deciding to start reading your Bible, deciding to start going to church. These are good steps, but these are not going to take you into the promises of God. And so the Jordan, it's interesting to me that Jesus was revealed at the Jordan. This is like in all of the Gospels, by the way. He's revealed to Israel in the Jordan. Now, Jesus is not from the wilderness. He hasn't been living out there. He's not the voice of one in the wilderness. He's from the city. And he goes out into the Jordan. Why? Because the Jordan was the boundary line of the promised land. Moses led his people up to the Jordan. John has led the people of God to the Jordan. And he cannot take them 
any further. Because your repentance has a, has a boundary line. There's only so much you and I can do. There's only so much devotion we can have. And so it's not just an adjustment of our prior, priorities, although that is a, the first step. But it will only take you so far. John takes them to the Jordan. Moses took them to the Jordan. But then Moses needed a successor. Does anybody remember the name of the successor? Moses' successor. Does anybody remember his name? It's Joshua or Yeshua. And does anybody know what Joshua means? The Lord saves. That's right. It's the exact same name. And so Moses had a successor named Joshua who would lead the people through the Jordan. And by the way, in, 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 in the Old Testament, when God was getting ready to lead them through the Jordan, remember I read this a few weeks ago, that the waters parted so that they could go through the Jordan. And what God told Joshua when they were about to go through the Jordan, he said, now I will glorify you in the eyes of the people. And so God was lifting up Joshua, not because Joshua was important, but because Joshua was prophetic of another Joshua who would also be revealed in the Jordan River. And in the Jordan, now John is passing off or transitioning the call of God, moving from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus. And so what I want to talk to you about today is divine transitions. Because what got you there is not always what's going to take you there. What got you to the Jordan is not always going to be able to pass you through the Jordan. And so the people of God in this season, in Mark chapter 1, they're going through a transition. They've been following John. They've been coming out to John. They've been repenting of their sins. And now John pulls Jesus into the Jordan. And in, in, and, and in other gospels, John says, like, follow him. This, this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God will do more for you. He, he's the rescuer. Uh, you've done the repentance. Now he needs to do the rescue. And so there's times of transition. And this is true in Mark chapter 1. This is true in our lives. Where, where we had something that took us to a certain level. But we must transition we cannot simply keep doing the same things we've always done and expect different results. There has to be a transitionary period. There has to be a time where, where we move from, from repentance to rescue. And God never intended us to live in the cycle of repentance. God never intended us to live in a cycle of feeling bad and repenting and then, and then doing well for like, 36 hours and then feeling bad and then repenting and then doing well. And, and, it's, and it's, yet some people are stuck in this very cycle. They come to church every week because they have to repent because they feel bad. And if you come to church because you feel bad, then you're, you're going to the wrong church. You're, the, the church that you're going to is only taking you to the Jordan, not taking you through the Jordan. It is in the wilderness that we repent, that we turn. But it is in the Jordan we receive something more powerful than our repentance. And it is the rescue of God. And it's through, on the other side of Jordan is where the victories are. On the other side of Jordan is where ownership is. As long as they were in the wilderness, they never owned any piece of property at all. They never had anything to pass down to their children. Basically, as soon as their kids got out of youth group, they ran off into the world. Sound familiar? They, they, they had, they had, they had, because they had no, no heritage. They had no legacy. When they're in the wilderness, they're wandering. They own nothing. And they wander and they wander and they wander. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. But when Joshua took them through the Jordan, he took them into the land of promise where they began to conquer. And when they conquered, they had ownership. When they had ownership, they had something to pass down to their kids. And the next generation was able to stand on the shoulders of their parents and have a better life and have a better uh, understanding of God and have a greater revelation until you finally you have David who's, who's building, a, Solomon's building a temple and you have more and more and, 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 and like, like it's supposed to get better. It's not supposed to be lapping the same mountain in the wilderness for 40 years. This is not God's plan for us. He wants us to go to a next level, to a level of sustainability, to a level of consistency, to a level of victory. See, he's put gifts and talents inside of you. And if you're always just in repentance mode, you never find your gifts and talents and you never figure out why you even exist. 
That makes sense. Like so many people, they think they exist just to just just to figure out what's right and 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 say they're sorry to God several times until they die. And that's not it. You've been you've been placed in this planet with a calling on your life. God wants you to have some victories. And God wants you to use your gifts and your talents and influence other people and and pass something down to the next generation. God wants to do something with our lives. He wants to do something with his church. It's not just about making people feel bad so that then they get saved and then they can sit. <laughs> you get saved so you can sit? No, man. You get saved so you can move forward with the call of God on your life. And this, so there has to be some divine transitions. There has to be some divine transitions. God will take you from a good place to a better place. God will take you from the wilderness into the promised land. But sometimes the very thing that got you through the wilderness is not the thing that's going to get you through the promised land. And so I want to look at today just some, some indications, I guess, of, of transition. Just based on this passage, we see Jesus in the Jordan. And the Jordan is a place of transition. The Jordan is a place where Jesus is being recognized as the, 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 the next Joshua. Because Moses could get them out of Egypt, but Moses could not get Egypt out of them. And so he needed a new Joshua and he needed a new baptism. They went, when, when they came out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, which was a form of baptism. But when they went into the promised land, they went through the Jordan River, which is also a form of baptism. Sometimes we just need to get baptized again. And not necessarily in water. John said, I baptize you with water, which is the Red Sea. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is the Jordan. So you need a second baptism. Like one dunking's not enough. You need to be dunked in something else other than water. You need to be buried in something else other than water. You need to be immersed in something else other than water. And so, so many of us, we've been immersed in water and we think that's it. And, but man, God's got a second baptism for you. He's got a second work of grace. He's got a second move on your life. That there's this baptism, not of water, but this time of fire, this time of the Holy Spirit, this time of speaking in tongues, this time of words of wisdom, words of prophecy, words of knowledge coming over you. He, he wants to baptize you with his spirit. And so he takes them through a second baptism. And it's, this is the Jordan. It's the second baptism. And as Jesus is in, is in that baptism, immediately as he comes up out of the water, it says that he saw. And I think this is interesting. Mark, or the author of Mark, is, 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 is painting the picture of Jesus' baptism, which is recorded in other Gospels, but he's painting it from the perspective of Jesus. Everybody else has different perspectives and what the disciples saw and what other people saw and what John saw. But in this case, we see that Jesus, when he came up out of the water, we see what he saw. Because Jesus himself is also in a transition. He's been in Nazareth working for his dad sawing tables and putting together chairs and I don't know what but now he's in a transition and now he's being anointed and now he is stepping into full-time ministry and he comes up out of the water and he saw the heavens parting and so that's the first step I think that happens when God's taking you on a divine transition when there is a God-oriented and God-directed transition you will see the heavens parting the heavens will begin to part. Yeah, we can just stay in that passage. The heavens will begin to part because notice it says heavens plural, not heaven singular. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I, I guess I was five or six. Um, my, my, actually, I think I was four. My parents got me this little picture Bible. It was kind of big and it was like half of the page was a picture and the other half was a little story. And so I just remember as a, as a kid, just flipping through there and finding the pictures that I thought were interesting, right? And then, and then asking my mom to read me the story, you know? And they were like old paintings of, of these stories. And so obviously David and Goliath always came up and uh, the lion's den always came up. And, 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 and I remember this picture of, of John baptizing Jesus and Jesus is coming. He's like standing in the water, you know, and his hands are out like this because they always were in those paintings. I don't know. 
You know, he's, he's all kind of wet and whatever, and he's, he's white, and it's a little odd, but you know, he's, stand, he's standing there, and he's just like looking up into heaven, and there's these, these billowing clouds that are like parted, and there's this ray of sunshine that's like shining down on him. I don't know if you guys have seen the same picture, but it, it, as a four-year-old, you see the heavens parted. Okay, yeah, yeah, the heaven like parted, but technically, that's not really all that happened, because it says the heavens, plural, parted. Not heaven parted. And so it's not just the clouds, although that would be pretty cool to see, right? Jesus comes up out of the water and whoo, clouds, like it's a sunny day all of a sudden, right? It's like, what, what, what? I don't even know if it was cloudy though, so it's hard to say. But, but suddenly there's, 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 there's all, all three of the heavens parted. Scripture gives us a teaching about three different kinds of heavens. There's the, there's the first heaven, which is what we see, the clouds. It's what I was flying home in on Friday morning. We were, we were in heaven, like, like uh, an Allegiant Air, and uh, flying from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Austin, Texas. And we were, it's cool, you can look down and see the clouds. That's, that's, that's the first heaven. That's, and that's also like where the Tower of Babel was, re was reaching up to in the Old Testament. It's pretty high up there. Not a lot of air, not a lot of oxygen. So that's the first heaven. The second heaven, it seems to me, you can do your own research and read the Bible for yourself, but I think the second heaven is the, is the sort of celestial heaven where the sun and the moon and the stars are, or what we would call outer space. It's really just space, which is expanding, by the way, it seems. Uh, so that's the second heaven where all, like, as far as you can go, shoot a rocket that way and just let it go for a million light years and, and you're going to be in the second heaven. But the third heaven is really more of a dimension, which is where God dwells and where the spirit of, of, of the, those that have trusted in Jesus is where they dwell. It's where Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in the, in the third heaven. Uh, Paul says that he also went to the third heaven and he saw things that he wasn't even allowed to talk about and he and he heard things and all this kind of stuff and so and so so we see that there are three heavens and I believe it seems that all three of those heavens parted for Jesus that when you're in the middle of a divine transition there will be there will be some physical things that will begin to open up there will be some job opportunities that will begin to open up. There will be some, some relationships that will begin to open up, right? There'll be some physical, visible things that everybody will see and say, wow, things are just kind of opening up for you. But that's not the only opening. And sometimes we get focused on that. And it's like, and it's like well, I'm, I feel like I'm in a divine transition because I was offered more money over here to move over here. Okay, well, that's, that's one opening. That's good. That's, that's opening number one. But what about the other openings? So Jesus saw not just the clouds opening, but somehow he saw outer space opening, which that's got to be really freaky, right? You're standing there and the clouds go, whoom, and all of a sudden it's blue sky, and then all of a sudden, whoom, it's black. And it's like, whoa, whoa, it's like a portal over him, you know? And so you look up, and then not only did he see the extraterrestrial, like the, the, the black, open, and then he saw the blackness opening. And this is more into another dimension where there's a spiritual dimension. This is why I don't think everybody saw this because not everybody sees spiritually with spiritual eyes. Not everybody is aware of what's happening in the spiritual realm because most people are like, oh, I feel like I'm in a divine transition because I was offered more money because the clouds went boom. It's like, well, okay, that's nice for the clouds, but have you seen the opening in the spirit realm? Because it was in the spirit realm, I believe the third heaven was open because we see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, came down to him. In other words, there was direct access, a direct, direct line from heaven to earth. This is when you know that you're in the middle of a divine transition, right? Jacob had the same thing when he went to sleep in Bethel. And he woke up in the middle of the night and there's this ladder that's connected on the earth that's, that's in heaven. And then these angels are coming down and going up. In other words, there was an opening, not just a physical opening of the clouds or a further dimensional opening of the, like the planetary systems. But also there's a mute button on your mic. And so there's this... There's this opening in the spirit realm. And this is something that you can know that you are in a divine transition when there are physical openings, but also when there is a spiritual opening. When there is a direct connection between you and God. When you're just driving along, not even thinking about God, and suddenly you feel called to prayer. 
When you're just going about your life and suddenly you see the hand of God moving in regular, typical situations. And the, the, and, and the, the, the cloud or the, 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 uh, the covering, I guess, the curtain that was blocking you and the hand of God suddenly gets peeled back and you start seeing God move in everyday life. And other people are like, wow, that was kind of weird. And you're like, no, that was kind of God. Like, I know what that was because I saw him move in the line at Walmart. I saw him move in my life. I, I, I sensed his, his, his presence and his urging, and I was responsive and obedient to him. And the heavens, plural, parted. So as I was studying this passage this week, I, I came to Deuteronomy 28. And it's kind of a long passage, but, but I just want to... I, I guess I just want to read it for you. We can maybe read it together. We'll have it up on the screen. And this is what God said in, like in, in, in the Old Testament, in the desert, to the people of Moses' day. And he was prophesying not about Moses' day, but about the day that would happen when Joshua took them into the promised land. And this is what he says. He says, look, if you fully obey the Lord your God, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands, remember this is repentance, that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. In other words, I'll open up opportunities for you to advance. I'll open up financial opportunities for you. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. That's where I live. But I'm looking forward to being blessed in the city someday. Just saying. Number four, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. In other words, God will open barren wombs. And we've seen him do it at City Chapel. God will, God, the, God, God will open all kinds of things. He'll, he'll open, open opportunities. And by the way, I have been blessed in the country, so I'm not knocking the country because it's been a huge blessing in my life. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land, God will open up your, the, the soil and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, this is your business, and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. In other words, God will open up spiritual victories for you against your enemies. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything that you put your hand to. I was talking to Micah about this just yesterday because somehow, and I, I, I forget, we got talking about uh, this pastor that I knew that was gaining money dishonestly. And I said, you never have to be upset about people who gain money dishonestly because they don't have the blessing of God on it. And it doesn't matter who you fool and it doesn't matter who you lie to and it doesn't matter what you keep uh, secret from the government, but it doesn't have the blessing of God on it. And I, and I was telling him, I said, as opposed to mom and dad, people pay us cash, but we always tell the government about it because we're being honest, right? When they ask us how much we made. And so, and so I'll tell you, when you have the blessing of God, then he puts a blessing on your barns. He puts a blessing on your pole barn. He puts a blessing on your house. He puts a blessing on your children. God can do more for you with his favor than you can do with a lifetime of you trying to work it out. And I said, in fact, actually, if you, if you are willing to get money dishonestly, that says something about you. And it says you won't be able to handle the money that you get. And Micah said, well, people can change. I said, yeah, they can, but they don't. After all these years of pastoring, I'll tell you what, people who are obedient to God will be obedient to God when they don't have money and when they do have money. People who tithe when they don't have money will tithe when they do have money. People who don't tithe when they don't have money will not start tithing when they get money. Money doesn't change you. People don't change because of money. People only change because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is true that you could steal money, get money dishonestly, and then get saved. But if you want to know what happens when that happens, look at Zacchaeus. He got all the money illegally, and when he got saved, he told Jesus, I'm giving it all back to everybody that I stole it from. So you end up with just less than you had. But no, man, when you are faithful to God, it says the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything that you put your hand to. You'll try stuff and it'll work. 
Not because you're genius, not because you're brilliant, not because you saw what the economy was going to do, but because, man, I could so many times God has put a blessing on what I tried. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's given you. The Lord will establish you. This is talking about legacy. This is talking about future. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you an oath. If you keep the commandments of of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples on the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your room, in the young of your livestock, in the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens. The Lord will open the heavens. This is what it is to live under an open heaven. And I'm not saying that everything will go great for you all the time. Our AC broke last night, I guess, or stopped working or something. I don't know. It was hot in our house. I got home from the family bash. Ro was already home for like a while. I got home and I'm like, it's hot in here. She didn't notice because that's just the temperature she likes it at. But I'm like, no, 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 it's not okay. Did you turn it up or what's going on? Sometimes when I'm away, she messes with me. And so I went up there and it's 81 degrees and it's set at 75. And I said, that's not good. And she's like, yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. And so we, you know, we, she didn't get hardly any sleep last night. I got a little bit of sleep, but um, yeah, you still have some difficulties. Sometimes God will bless you with difficulties. (laughs) Sometimes God will bless you with difficulties. I was, I was, I was talking to Gene uh, on the phone a couple weeks ago and we hadn't talked in a while and I was telling him the story about our farm and how we got this farm, what a great deal it was, but what a shack we had to live in. Cause it was, I mean, it was just a shack. It was awful. It was the worst place I've ever like lived in in my life. I've seen people in third world countries that live in better houses than I moved into. But it's like, okay, we're moving into this place because God wants us to plant City Chapel and this is affordable and this is close. And we said, hey, within five years or so, maybe the church will start paying us a full-time salary, <laughs> which didn't really happen. But anyway, we thought maybe, the, and, then we'll, and then we'll build a new house, right? We'll get a loan, we'll build a new house on top of our other loan, and then we'll, we'll build a new house. And, and I was telling Gene, I said, but then God blessed us with a flood and our old house flooded we had two and a half feet of water in the shack so the shack became even like more shack like because it had two and a half feet of water in it and we lost like everything that we owned like literally everything was just falling it because water just picks stuff up and throws it down i'm gonna realize that but bookshelves i mean just everything my shoes were saved because i put them on top of the bed as i was running out and so that's great. The tennis shoes made it. But everything else, I had to say the important stuff. Everything else was just wiped out. And I was telling Jesus that that was, that was such a blessing from God. Because what happened is FEMA came through and they, they declared it a disaster area and they gave us a disaster loan to rebuild another house. And so with 1% interest, we got the money that we would have taken us five years to try to get at a much higher interest rate. And so we were able to build the house like a year later. And so, and so Gene was laughing. He's like, not many people would say God blessed them, God, God blessed them with, with a flood. And I said, well, not many people stick with God long enough to see his blessings in the pain. They get the flood, they curse God, they sell the place, and they move on. And not many people stick with God long enough to see the blessing in the pain of the marriage. They figure they married the wrong person. They curse God and they move on. Not many people stick with God. Oh, we're getting, getting close to home. Not many people stick with God long enough to see his plan through it all. To see that he really was good. To see that he really was faithful. To see that he really did have a plan. We curse God. We walk away from the difficult situation. And yet, man, God promised he was going to bless my barn. And so, darn it, I'm going to hang on to the barn until it's blessed. You know what I'm saying? God promised he's good because that's what our house was basically, a barn. 
I'm going to hang on to the, is he promised he blessed the land. So I might be in a drought now, but I'm going to believe he's going to bless this land. God promised he would bless my kids. My kids may be rebels now, but I'm going to hang on and believe God's going to bless my kids. God, he promised to bless my home, my marriage, the most closest relationships in my life. So I'm going to hang on until I see his blessings. I promise you, man, you stick with God long enough and you'll see that he had a plan and a purpose in the pain, in the sickness, in the flood, in the divorce, in the difficulty that there was the, he was working even while we were worrying, he was still working. And we saw this and it's and the key is obedience. He says, if you will be obedient, if you will be obedient, if you will be obedient. Then I will bless you. Then I will bless you. Then I will open heavens. I will open up the heaven. And look what he says. He says, I will open up heaven and, and, uh, uh, I lost it there. I'll open up heaven. Do we still have it up here? And send my storehouse of my bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. And yet, uh, if we go down to verse, I think it's verse 15 or 14. Verse 15, it says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees and skip down to verse 23, the sky over your head will be like bronze and the ground beneath you like iron. So if you're here today and you say, man, I, I, don't, I haven't seen the heavens opening. It seems like everything I try just fails. It seems like every prayer, prayer I pray just hits the ceiling and come, clink, clangs off the ceiling and falls back down at my feet. It's like the heavens are like brass or bronze. It's not open. It's shut. It's slammed shut. You say, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get to that place? Well, you follow John into the wilderness and you repent of your sin and you be obedient. Well, no, don't I need to have this great experience like in worship and shake and fall over? Well, no. You can have great experiences in worship. And you can shake and fall over. And, and, and that happens. It's happened in City Chapel. We've had gold dust one time falling on people. And uh, yeah, cool things happen like that. The question is not like, did you fall over? The question is, did anything change in your life after you got back up? And you walked out the door. And you got another chance to respond to your spouse. And you got another chance to respond to your kids. And you got another chance to wake up on Monday morning and put God first in prayer. And you got another chance to open your Bible and to read it, even if you didn't understand all of it, but you're just going to read. You're going to be faithful. You got another chance to come on Wednesday night and go to, go to Bible study, even whatever we're teaching about. It's like, okay, we're going to jump into that. Which, by the way, this week we are teaching on baptism. So I, I didn't plan it that way. But, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about water baptism. Uh, but but, but you, you had another chance. And the question is, were you obedient in the chances that you had? Did you say yes to God? Because this is what opens up the heavens. Notice when, when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why was he pleased with him? Because he was obedient. Scripture tells us that he learned obedience growing up through the things that he suffered. One time he's 12 years old, and 12-year-olds know everything. And Jesus was like every other 12-year-old he knew. And he's, he's there in the temple and he actually does know a lot more than most 12-year-olds, you know, because he happens to be God. But he's also in this weird developmental stage, which I don't know, I can't exactly explain the hypostatical union in adolescence. I don't know how that works, except that he's tempted in every way that we are. And so I can look at my 12-year-old daughter and say, honey, Jesus knows what it's like to be 12. And he knows what it's like to know everything and yet still be submitted to his parents. He's 12 years old. He's hanging out at the temple. He's teaching, literally teaching the teachers of Israel. He's like, yeah, but have you read this? And have you read that? And check this out. And they're like, this guy, how does he even know how to read? And Jesus is opening up the scriptures to them for three days. And his parents come back and he's like, yo, we're supposed to go back to Nazareth of Galilee. Remember, that's where we live. And Jesus says, no, man, I'm supposed to be here. And his parents say, ah, we really don't care what you think you're supposed to be. You're coming with us. And Jesus is obedient to his parents who didn't understand his calling. 
And so he's obedient when his parents got it wrong. You know, you can still be obedient, teenagers, to your parents, even when they got it wrong. Even when they don't understand you or your friends or your music. <laughs> Which, it's not music, but whatever. <laughs> yes, I am that generation. I'm old enough now. I have 42. I can, I can say that. But... No, like you can still be obedient. And so Jesus is obedient to his parents and he's obedient to God. And now he steps into the Jordan and he comes up out of the Jordan. So obedience always precedes transition. Divine transition is preceded by obedience. You don't start obeying at the transition point. No, man, there is obedience before the great transition. Before the heavens open, there's obedience. Before the blessings come, there's obedience. Before the, so, in this, in this, in the, I guess this is my next point. Jesus comes up out of the water and the spirit comes and sits on him in the form of a dove. It dwells on him or rests on him. And this is what I get so excited about at City Chapel when I see people that the spirit of God is resting on them. And I know that he doesn't just rest on people randomly. He rests on people who are obedient. So anytime you see the Spirit of God resting on somebody publicly, it's because there's been private places of obedience. And you might not like their hair color, but there's been private places of obedience. You might not like their personality, but there's been private places of obedience. And this is what I've found, is that, man, I, I, like, I want to be around people that the Holy Spirit is just hovering over. I don't know if you've noticed that when, when, when the Holy Spirit is hovering over people, it's no longer just about their talent. It's no longer just about whether or not they can sing a song. Because we, we've seen what talent can do and it ain't much. But when the Holy Spirit is hovering on people, they can be the worst singer in the world, but the Holy Spirit is on them. They, 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 they can be a drummer that doesn't necessarily keep the beat very well. I've never been a very good musician ever. <laughs> because I didn't want to practice. I mean, basically, that's just it. It's too lazy. And I didn't care. Now, 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 hand me the Greek New Testament, and sure, I'll spend hours studying that because I'm fascinated with that. But, but Bach and 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 the the forty second concerto or whatever, the third or four, who knows how many the guy did. It's like, well, now I really don't care. This is this is lame. But, but, but yet there's been the presence of God on my life. And so at times, like even just singing a cappella, even just leading people in prayer, even just sitting down with somebody, and sit, when God is, when the Holy Spirit is hovering over somebody, they don't have to be on stage, they don't have to have a microphone, they don't have to be knighted and appointed as the, 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 the lead usher of City Chapel Church. They don't have to have a badge, you know. They don't have to be the worship leader of, like they don't have to have the t-shirt, they don't have to have the, uh, the, 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 the award or around their neck come on somebody they don't have to they don't have to show it off they don't have to show it off they don't have to wear it on their sleeve they don't have to tell everybody I remember when we first started City Chapel a guy uh, came to our our church in the theater and he actually handed me a card prophet so-and-so and I was like oh that's very interesting you know most prophets don't have to hand out their card to senior pastors you know they don't even have to introduce themselves I'm Pastor Harry yes that's me no you like I when I meet people I don't tell them I'm Pastor Harry because that's weird (laughs) they'll figure it out if I pastor them or not like they'll they'll realize it you don't have to say I'm the worship leader if you lead people in worship They'll figure it out. Not to say I'm the head usher. If you usher people, you, you don't have to be like, I'm the deacon. If you deek, then you're the deacon. <laughs> the whole bunch of deacons aren't ready to deek. They just want to tell everybody they're deacons. And they got their spot on the board so they can vote. They don't deek, they just vote. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And so I'm just saying, like, like, like if, if, if you're doing it, The Holy Spirit is hovering over you. You're not seeking a position. You're not seeking recognition by man. You're not seeking a stage or a microphone or a picture on a website. Your desire is to be who God's called you to be. 
And the Holy Spirit is hovering over you. And when God starts hovering over people, like even people who don't have the experience of other people, even people who don't have the church etiquette of other people, even people who haven't been through the church growth class and Bible college of other people, he uses them and he works through them. I mean, in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Well, first off, he created it. The Father did this thing and then he baptized it in water. He put it in water. The whole thing was covered by water. And so you go into the Jordan and you get completely covered by water. And then the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. And as the hover, and the word hover means to brood or like a, like a, like a, like a mother hen, you know, to sit on the eggs. And it is the warmth of the mother chicken, which I'm demonstrating right now, obviously, that, that, that does something like that, that creates the conditions for miraculous life. And so you say, well, yes, how can I, how can I find my calling? Get under the Holy Spirit for a while and just sit there and just stay there. Stay under the Holy Spirit. I don't feel anything. Okay. Oh, it's not, it's not happening fast enough. Eggs cannot be impatient. <laughs> I'm just saying. Because the mother hen, it is the heat radiating from her that creates the condition for new life to come forth. So you get under the Holy Spirit and you stay there. And even when you can't see anything happening, You believe that something is happening on the inside and something is changing on the inside and something is springing to life on the inside. And so that's why I'm fired up about people that I see the Holy Spirit hovering over them because I might not see a change on the outside, but something's happening on the inside. And these are these, these, and and as, as, as a pastor, you get several opportunities to see that, you know, because you just kind of throw out opportunities. You know, like when, when, when the pandemic hit, we started immediately having Wednesday night prayer, uh, pursuit nights, you know. And the people who would come to pursuit nights, it's because the Holy Spirit was hovering over them. Because you don't come out on a Wednesday night to sit and worship if something's not happening over you. And so then you see over time, you see people and you can't see anything here, but there's something happening here. And then eventually it starts breaking through. It starts coming out. And so even like, like Megan, Megan would come like almost every Wednesday night and then she started feeling called to missions. And now in the fall, she's going to a missions school here in Austin. God's calling her to the mission field. And, and, and so callings don't happen because a pastor lays his hand on your head and shakes you and says, you are called to this. It's a secret. Pastors get stuff wrong. A lot. We don't see clearly. We don't hear clearly. We got our own stuff going on. We're all so hungry. <laughs> and it's lunchtime and we're thinking, okay, I need to wrap this up. And, 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 yet, and yet God uses us, sure. But man, when the Holy Spirit hovers you over you, this is where the call of God comes from. Because pastors also turn away from God sometimes. And you live long enough to see them walk away from the very God that they used to preach about and say that they don't even believe in him. And your faith can't be in a pastor. Your faith has to be in the Holy Spirit that's hovering over you. Because God has used pastors in my life and they've spoken into my life and they've worked in my life. And some of the greatest moments in my spiritual walk have been listening to sermons and, 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 it, and it resonating and the Holy Spirit speaking through a human vessel. Absolutely. But then I've seen pastors disappoint me and let me down at times and not do what I thought they should do and not be there for me like I thought they should. But it's okay because they're humans and it wasn't them. It was God ministering to me. And there was the Holy Spirit hovering over me. And when Jesus came up out of the water, he didn't see John the Baptist. Nowhere in there does it say he saw John, his face beaming, and he gave him a big hug. Welcome to the family, Jesus. You're saved now. No, that's not what happened. He opened his eyes and he saw the heavens parting. And he saw the Holy Spirit coming and resting on him. And it was that same spirit 
that, that, that rested on him. And he opened up the book of Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, to, to the acceptable year of the Lord, to declare the acceptable year of jubilee, the seventh year of jubilee where slaves are set free, where debts are forgiven. And it was the Holy Spirit that was anointing him. And so if Jesus needed the spirit to hover over him, you and I will need that too. And so stay in the Spirit. Stay under the Spirit. Don't be, don't be afraid of being in secret and being covered. Because when eggs are sitting there and the mother hen is sitting on top of them, you actually don't know if she's got any eggs or not. <laughs> don't be afraid of the farmer not recognizing your potential. Don't be afraid of, of, of people not, not, not recognizing what you have or who you are or what you bring to the table. Be covered by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit cover you so that it's in the secret place that you're qualified. It's in the secret place that he recognizes you. It's in the secret place that he anoints you. It's in the secret place that he births you. It's in the secret place. And sometimes that secret comes out into the public. And sometimes it never does. I remember I was in uh, Mexico one time down in Michoacan or near Michoacan. And we were ministering to a church there, and the church didn't have a building. They just had a tent, and it was like a thousand degrees outside. And they met, obviously, just under this tent. And people walked for miles. I remember this one old lady, like, she was, like, really old. Her hair was super long. Uh, she, I don't think she ever cut in her entire life. And it was braided, and it was super long. And she was crouched over, and she had walked, I think it was around 10 miles to get there, they said. And they have church on Sunday evenings, because if you have a Sunday morning, people can't get there in time. So they have it in the evening. And, uh, we, you know, you, they had a little uh, battery-powered sound system, a, a microphone with a speaker. And there's this little old lady. And, I, and, I, and I, just, I just remember thinking, man, I wonder how much, how much heaven will be filled with people who were prepared in the secret place, who served in the secret place, who prayed in the secret place, who sought God in the secret place, who saw revival from their place of prayer in the secret place. While other people were promoted and elevated and known and had YouTube followings and had microphones and had churches. And I wonder, I wonder, how, I wonder how well we're going to be able to handle the shift <laughs> when we get to heaven. Because we're all going to want Billy Graham's autograph. And I wonder if we're going to be able to find him. Billy? Billy who? I, I mean, there's a few Billys here. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. Billy George, which Billy, it's, it's several, and it's these nameless people that are going to be lifted up and they're going to be known for how much they accomplished in the secret. Because you can actually accomplish much more for God in the secret place. When you're hidden away from, from people calling you and asking you to come do this and come do that and can you meet with me about this and can you, but man, people who are in the secret place, their devotion is with God alone. They sit under the Spirit of God. Don't be afraid of the secret place. It's in the secret place. It's under the shadow of His wings. Jesus is, is under the shadow of His wings that the dove, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells on Him. Immediately He came up from the water. He saw the heavens parting, the Spirit descending upon Him. Then He heard a voice from heaven. And this is the third step in any divine transition is you will hear the voice of God speaking to you. And what will he speak? Well, he will speak revelation. This is my son, he says. That's a revelation. Whether it was a revelation to Jesus or not, I, I don't know. I, I, once again, I say it's a little tricky to figure out the hypostatical union and human development and how all that works. But it was a revelation for the people around him, for sure. Because many heard it. This is my son, he says. And I think many times it's a revelation for us. God wants to reveal to you who you are to him in relationship to him. He didn't say this is Jesus. He didn't say this is the carpenter. He didn't, he didn't say this is the savior of the world. All of these things would have been true. But he revealed to Jesus who he was to him. Because this is what he will do with us. He will reveal to us who we are to him. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He will also affirm he will affirm our position, our place with him. 
And so let's just, let's just, I don't know, let's just pray right now. Let's, let's welcome the voice of the Father over our lives. If you're here today and if you don't know where you stand with God, I would, I would welcome you to repent. Scripture says that if, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that we just simply confess and we repent and we make a decision to turn and we take one step toward him. And if you're, you're here today and you want to take that one step toward him, would you just take a step by raising your hand and saying, I am taking a step toward God today. I'm moving toward him. That's awesome. So I see your hands. I just bless you right now in the name of Jesus. I bless that obedience. I bless that step. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You'll be blessed in your relationships. You'll be, and blessing doesn't always look how we think it looks. But the hand of God will be on your life as you take a step toward him. God is taking steps toward you right now. And so, Father, I pray for an open heaven. I pray that you would open heaven, that there would be a direct connection, a direct line between us and you. That's what open heaven is. It's not money falling down. It is the Spirit of God. We don't need money. We need a connection with our Heavenly Father. And so we pray for that direct connection, that there's nothing between my soul and the Savior so that His blessed face can be seen. That you would remove all obstacles, remove all addictions, remove all sin, remove all issues that block us from hearing your voice, remove all doubt, remove all fear that stops us from entering into your presence, remove all self-doubt, remove all self-reservations, remove all lies that we have believed about you and about us and about other people around us, remove all bitterness, remove all unforgiveness, take out every root of bitterness, Lord, right now, take out every, every root that's taken root inside of our own hearts, pull it up from the roots, the roots of bitterness, pull it up from every area, take out all uh, desire for competition, all self-seeking, all self-seeking, Lord, remove all pride, remove all uh, uh, selfish ambition, not all ambition, but all selfish ambition, remove all selfish ambition from our hearts, Lord, burn up, let your fire come and, de and devour and destroy self-seeking ambition, self-promotion, self-comforting, self-care. Let, 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 let your fire burn all of self so that we're not focused on self, but that we can have a direct connection with heaven. Open up heavens over us. Open up physical things, Lord, things that are blocked. Open up physical opportunities and physical openings, but also open up the next dimension, which, which I think would be emotional blockages, emotional bondages. Open up emotional uh, roadblocks that we've been stumped at. Every cycle that you meant for us to go through that we got stuck in, remove every emotional blockage and then spiritual bondages and spiritual blockages let the heavens be opened over us let our prayers go straight to heaven let let us feel the call of god and in every normal everyday life let heaven let us live under an open heaven and then we pray for your spirit to come and to hover over each and every one of us come baptize us in your spirit Come cover us, submerge us in your spirit, not just with a particular gift, but with the person of the Holy Spirit. Let him dwell with us richly. Let us not offend him in any way. Let us not uh, curse him in any way. Let us, let us not do anything that would, that would uh, he came down as a dove. Doves are really skittish and really, they fly away really, they get scared easily. Noise and commotion, they can't take noise. And our culture is full of noise and commotion. Busyness has robbed us of the ability to host the Holy Spirit. 
We rush from one thing to to the next. We rush from one activity to the next. We never have accomplished enough. We've never made enough money. We've never made enough friends. We've never influenced enough people. We've never promoted. We've never saved enough moments with our children. We've never taken enough pictures. We've never taken enough videos. We've never posted enough. We're, We're constantly always behind the eight ball. And the dove cannot rest on someone who is running. And so, Lord, may we stop and stand still and let the Holy Spirit rest on us. Rest on us, Lord. And then may we hear the voice of our Father speaking revelation to us about who we are. Reveal to us who we are to you and what, how you see us and what you have designed us for. And affirm to us our calling, affirm to us why we are here, and, 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 and affirm to us your love for us. This is my loved son. <laughs> this is my son who is greatly loved. Not because we've done anything. Jesus hadn't accomplished anything yet. He just accomplished the greatest work of obedience. And so, Lord, may we secretly accomplish the greatest work of moment-by-moment obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for coming out today. Um, hope you stay cool and, and have a good week. We will have CCU this Wednesday night, um, City Chapel University, if you'd like to be a part of that. Maybe we could put that slide up. You can scan the QR code um, and uh, get, on the, get on the text list. You'll get the, the notes for this week. Um, but we will be here uh, with, I guess, pizza and uh, Bible study <laughs> on Wednesday night, um, 6.30. So feel free to, kids are welcome. Feel free to join us um, for Bible study. If not, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday, um, the next, the last Sunday before camp meeting. And uh, yeah, bring bring a friend, and uh, let's let's worship the Lord together. Sound good? All right, you're dismissed. You can move about the cabin. <laughs>